Hello there and welcome to Fill Me Up. I am Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your film discussions. Um, how is everyone doing now that lockdown is kind of over? Not really. Um, I've not been to a pub yet, um, though I wouldn't be against it. I think the big thing that I'm waiting for, obviously, is the cinemas because you can just sit on your own away from people as I like it. Um, I haven't even been for a haircut because they get really close to you and stuff and I don't know. Um, my mum keeps saying you should go and get a haircut. Um, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things. You, you can't embrace the fact that you can grow your hair out to so it looks stupid and, and curls up and messy. Because uh, I have members of my family that, that don't have that option. So, uh it's it, you've got to embrace it anyway um let's get on to topic um i don't know what there's been comic con this week but i don't think there was much from comic con because because it was all at home so i don't and like marvel weren't there dc weren't there uh they're some of the big ones uh, i don't know there's nothing there's, and because everything's been delayed and stuff you'd be i guess you'd be hearing about stuff for next year but now that's all been delayed to the, the year after it's like Star Wars got delayed and Avatar got delayed and stuff. So I don't know. There wasn't really much out there, in my opinion. Um, there's the DC fandom thing coming up soon. So we'll be able to talk about kind of Suicide Squad and the Batman and whatever. But um, yeah, there's not really much else um, in the way of things to talk about. So we will crack on. <laughs> So we are up to Alpha Set L. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you will have seen the three films that I'm covering this week. Uh, these are three films that I have not seen before. Uh, so these will be completely fresh takes. Kind of maybe I've heard of those films, so I may know if they're good going into them or not. I don't know. But um, let's see. It's uh, the, let's see. Let's try and uh, see what films they could. I could be watching. Um, it is not. Life, the film with Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal that's basically Alien again. It is not that because I've seen that and I liked it. It is not, uh, what else? What else? My mind's gone blank. It is not The Lighthouse, the one with Willem Dafoe and uh, Robert Pattinson that's black and white. I do want to see that, but it is not that. Uh, the first film that we are watching this week, uh, or that I have watched, um, is LA Confidential. Um, so in the 1950s, in 19, let's, let's be specific, in the 1950s, LA or Los Angeles, um, police investigate some brutal murders while butting heads over their respective methods. Uh, it came out in 1997, uh, so gone back to the 90s to go back to the 50s, um, had a $35 million budget and it made $126 million, so it made a decent chunk of change. Um, even after you double the production budget for marketing. Um, it also went down pretty well. Um, it's got an 8.2 on IMDb and 99%. Oh, it's so close to getting that. It's just that one, per, well, maybe more than one person, uh, giving it a bit of a negative review on Rotten Tomatoes. I myself would probably be one of those people if you had to push me. I did give it a 6 out of 10, though. Um, I thought it was pretty good, but it's not perfect. Um, so right off the bat, 
uh, one thing that kind of tarnishes this film a little bit is it's got known sex pest Kevin Spacey in it. Um, well, allegedly, uh, and well, no, he is in this, but allegedly he's a known sex pest. Um, but ironically, he plays a very sleazy cop that consults for a TV show and has like a deal going on with a reporter. So that's so he's one of the the main police officers. Um, also, and it is the phone throwing Russell Crowe. Um, he ironically plays a violent cop that is willing to cross the line in order to get an arrest. Uh, it's ironic because obviously he he assaulted someone because he threw a phone. And last but not least, we have Guy Pierce, who I think is the only likable character in this film. Uh, he kind of wants to do things by the book uh, and doesn't care who hates him at all. Um, but the thing that so these are the like kind of the main uh, police officers that the film revolves around. But I feel like the real problem with it is that these characters don't interact much with each other. like, And when you do, it's more towards the ends of the film, so you're more interested in kind of the climax of the case and stuff rather than the characters and their interactions, if that makes sense. Um, there's about half an hour of setup at the start of this film, which I feel you could have easily cut down. Uh, like, most of the stuff is just kind of fairly easy to just sprinkle in throughout the film, like stuff to do with, like, oh, yeah, like, this guy has... Like, uh, Russell Crowe's character has a thing about protecting women and, like, uh, beating on wife beaters and stuff. Um, but that's also mentioned in the film and, like, you see it. So it's just like, why? Well, you don't need that. Um, but, yeah, I think there are things that are that are set up for later, later events in the film in this kind of little intro bit. And so you probably keep those in, but, like, Everything else could probably get gone because there's not there's not enough kind of character development there that's that you can't either do later on or they do do later on. Um, so I don't think it's worth that much time spending spending this that amount of time on it. Um, talking of the start, it opens with Danny DeVito, uh, who's also in this film. As, as said reporter that Kevin Spacey has a deal going on with. And he's reading aloud an article that he's he's writing. Um, and so it kind of almost, because it starts with that, it suggests that it could be like the start of the, like the storytelling technique. And you'd be like, oh, this is kind of an interesting thing. Like he does like these articles and that's kind of how it goes through. And But it doesn't happen again, really. I think it happens like once more in the film. Like he reads something out, I don't know. And, like, Danny DeVito isn't even the main player in the film. He is, like, a side character and does pop up. But he's not in it that much. And so I thought it was a bit of a strange way to open it a little bit. Um, but I'd say that some of the start does work. It talks about, kind of, the the fall of Mickey Cohen and the aftermath of that. And I thought that was interesting because it... And, and to be honest, I thought it was a, a, maybe even more interesting than the rest of the film because it, it sets up... But... Uh, the thing that with it is that it sets up this light-hearted tone to it that the film the film doesn't stick to, and it's not. But like it's almost like don't like either have that if that's the tone you're going with, stick with that or don't put it in. Like I don't understand. I mean, obviously it's kind of it's kind of his writing style, but it's the it, 
it starts off like an art. I don't know. It sort of it starts and ends as if it is an article, but then the rest of it is kind of like almost direct to camera sort of thing. And it's like, oh yeah, because you see in this clip, and then the, oh, and then he he reacts to something in that clip that you've just seen, which can't have been in the article. So it's just like I don't know. It's strange, but um, yeah. So I don't think that really works, but it it is kind of interesting and kind of more interesting than what happens in the film. Um, there are some interesting developments in the the case which is kind of the main the main plot of this film but i feel that there's too many policemen just stood around doing nothing basically this film is for the most part about policemen not doing police work um and i say policemen because there is no police police women at that point because it's the 1950s um but i think yeah, there's there's a lot of times where they just stood around and there's like they're just hurling abuse at Guy Pierce or something. There's like a scene where thirty guys are watching on. So you know you get like, you know you get on these traditional like cop shows or whatever. There's got the interrogation room and then there's the mirror, the one sided one way mirror, and then there's like a small room on the other side with about two three people in it maybe watching the interrogation. Well, in this they have like, it's like one massive room. And then there's three tiny interrogation rooms off of that. And so there's like 30 people stood in this room watching an interrogation go on. Because this room's massive. And it's like, I don't understand what is going on. Um, But yeah, I think it's like that interrogation scene is kind of good. But like, I just don't know why that, but I don't know why the police, like why they're all there. And the fact that they, the only reason why they seem to be there is to hurl abuse at, Guy Pierce's character for being such a goody two shoes, and for being like, yeah, let's we could we, they they I don't know let's let's get them or whatever. That's all they. Uh, it just makes me hate them all. If I'm, I've got to be honest, they I don't like any of them. Guy Pierce is the only one that I actually have any kind of sympathy and respect for because he actually wants to do his job and he does his job well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like moving away from kind of the police stuff. The, there are, I feel that there are problems with kind of some of the characters' motives. Like Russell Crowe gets together with this kind of fake actress, and I don't understand why that happens. Like, there's no real kind of romantic thing. You don't see. I don't know. There's. It's almost like are you watching. Am I watching the same thing? Like, have you? Has stuff happened else? Have you had other meetings? Like, did you? What? I just don't understand. Um. There are a few, like, change of hearts that happen later on. People kind of turn good or turn bad or whatever. Um, and they they do make sense, but you have to think about it. Like, the film doesn't do a very good job at portraying it. Like, it doesn't do well at kind of, like, looking at the turmoil of the characters and going, oh, well, because of it. Like, you have to piece it together and go, oh, well, yeah, I guess logically because this happened, then you would feel like this and you maybe would do this. And, like, you just... It's, I feel like it just doesn't do a good job at kind of portraying the reasons why someone would change or flip or whatever. Um, but I think overall, the plot is interesting and kind of the whole, the case is interesting and everything. Um, and I'd say probably the detective stuff is the best bit of the film. But like I say, most of the time, police aren't doing police work. They're like beating people up or whatever. And I know that's 1950s and that's kind of what happens and what used to happen or whatever, but um, I think, but when the only time 
actual investigative work is done is when someone decides to go rogue and do it themselves off book. That's kind of a bit bad when your film is kind of based around a detective case and, and things like that. And it's just, oh no, it was just, I didn't really get to grips with any of these characters. If I'm honest, apart from Guy Pearce and I don't know, it's just, maybe it's because it came out like 20 years ago, but it just didn't hit with me. And I don't understand why everyone seems to love it. But yeah, I guess that's just my opinion. But let's go through some little facts. Um, So Kevin Spacey's character gets paid off by the reporter Danny DeVito um, multiple times in the film. And he gets paid $50 each time. And you're thinking, hmm, $50 isn't a lot. But, which is what I was thinking at the time. But in today's money, that's $500. So it makes a bit more sense. I mean, $500 is still not a lot. But it makes more sense than $50. Um. Russell Crowe's character was supposed to be the biggest cop in LA, so in terms of size and bulk and stuff. Um, but Russell Crowe isn't even six foot tall, so he decided that to help him with that, he rented a flat that had low ceilings and doorways, so it would give him that feeling of being giant, and then so he could emulate that on set, which I thought was interesting. Um, and Guy Pearce, he didn't like the cop that he was learning from, because obviously you do like ride-alongs and whatever. But he said that he was racist and that he actually learned more from watching kind of 1950s police training videos, which I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, I think overall, not a great film in my opinion. It's got some odd character work and, and it's not the most interesting kind of, of storytelling. I think there is a good, like, there is an interesting story in there. And like, I think the way that, I think there is an interesting kind of, element in the different characters and ha- and following them all but i think it it just didn't do it well basically i think the execution's poor um but yeah let's move on to film number two um and that film is lock uh lock with an e um and this is a construction manager who travels to london after making a life-changing decision all the while making and taking phone calls to ensure his work life and family life don't unravel um, so it came out in 2013. It had a very, very small budget of $2 million. It made $5 million, which isn't bad. It made like a million dollars, I guess. But um, And to be fair, it had a very small release. So it was only released in 121 cinemas compared to LA Confidential's 1,625 cinemas. So you can understand why it only made five. Um, it's got a 7.1 on IMDb and 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I give it an 8 out of 10 um, because it's it's dramatic and it's got a solid lead performance in it and I can see why people appreciate this film so this is one of those ones that are a bit like Buried that I covered um, a number of weeks ago um, it all takes place in one location for the most part It um, so everything takes place in a car in this instance uh, there are a few kind of establishing or panning shots um, here and there Um but they're not, they don't, you can, there's not like, there's no action or anything that's happening outside of it. Um, and I think that the panning shots and establishing shots, they do appear frequently enough that it keeps it visually interesting and kind of, there's multiple camera angles as well that keeps it interesting. Um, so you never kind of bored or stale, like you never find it boring or stale in kind of terms of watching it. Um, but yeah, there's only one one actor on camera again, like 
buried. Um, and this time it's Tom Hardy, who gives a great and really believable performance uh, of a guy who's just trying to remain calm and cope with all the different elements to his predicament. He's Welsh in this as well, by the way, which I thought I thought his Welsh accent was very good. Um, you often see him having to kind of centre himself after he's taken a phone call, like in preparation for the next one. Because uh, he's talking to different people and he has to like act in a different way, and there's like emo- there are like moments where his emotions boil over, but for the most part he's quite he's got it in check. And I think the but the brilliant thing for me is that you can like almost see the rage and the sadness kind of building in him, and you can see it kind of there, and you feel that he's trying to keep it under control, and like the in the, the outburst could happen at any time. So, like, so when they do, it's kind of a bit cathartic, but they're kind of more impactful as well because they don't happen that much. Um, one thing I did kind of like is kind of the opposite of LA Confidential. There's no establishing backstory or anything. It just throws you straight in. I think it works really well. Like you, you learn all you need to know about the character through all the phone calls and his reactions and stuff. Um, and obviously he's dealing with a variety of different people. So you get to see like the many aspects of him from like the common mentor to a troubled husband to a humble employee or whatever. And I think it gives it Tom Hardy a lot to do in terms of range and things. And he, I think it pulls it off fantastically. Um, so I said that there's only one on camera actor because there are some other actors in this film and they are big name ones. Actually, there's Olivia Coleman. Uh, from The Crown and The Favourite, Ruth Wilson from Luther, His Dark Materials, Tom Holland from Spider-Man, um, and Andrew Scott from Sherlock and Fleabag, they're all in it. They all do great in terms of, like, they work, obviously having to work with the limitations of just having, having been able to act with their voice, but I think they do a really great job. And there's a particular bit that with Tom Holland's character that at the end is kind of quite emotional. Um, it's pretty good. I liked it. Um, my only issue, though, with this film, really, is that it ended when it did. Because it didn't feel like a full conclusion to me. Like, I guess there's a desire to end the film kind of still in the car. Because, like, that's how it, he started the film, basically. But, like, the first minute of the film kind of starts with him getting in the car. So I kind of liked for the last minute of the film to end with him getting out of the car. Which... I think would have been nice, like you see him right at the start of his journey and right at the end of the journey. Um, and so much has changed and things, but, and like, because he's juggling so many things and there's so many different aspects to what's going on, you kind of want to see those to conclusion. Obviously, you're not going to be able to see all of them to conclusion because some of them are like referring to events that are, ha- that are yet to happen. Things will, there'll be repercussions and whatever. But yeah, I just kind of, I was just a bit disappointed that it kind of, it just seemed to suddenly end and it's like, oh yeah, I feel like if you, you could have just gone on for like an extra, like it's not a long film. It's like an hour and 25 minutes or something. And you definitely could have stuck another extra 10, 15 minutes on there just to get him to the end of the journey for me. Um, but yeah, I think that that's the only real problem that I have with this film is there isn't enough of it. And like, if that's a problem with your film, then you know, it's a pretty good film. Like it's not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought it was compelling and I didn't get bored at any point. So, um, yeah, uh, but let's talk about some little facts about it. Um, so there's a, a bit of an unconventional filming style with this film. It was filmed over six days um, 
which is not a long lot of time for most productions. Um, and they shot the film in one take uh, twice per night and then kind of used all those different takes and whatever. So it's just six takes, basically. Well, no, there was like 12 takes in total. Maths, Stephen, maths. Um, the other actors um, were all in a hotel room and they were sometimes given kind of new lines and stuff by the director to kind of mix it up and to see Hardy react to, um, which I thought was interesting. Uh, the car that, that Tom Hardy was driving actually had a low fuel warning that would beep occasionally, and this frustrated him. Um, but the director, Stephen Knight, um, by the way, Stephen is spelt wrong. He spelt it wrong. He spelt it with a V. It's a PH. Get it in your head. Get it in your head, people. If you're going to have a child out there, if you're about to have a child and you're thinking of the name Stephen, it's with a PH, just to let you know. If your name is, if you are out there and your name is Stephen with a V, go and change your name by Deeple. Please, please, because for all, just be it for your own sake, because otherwise people will think that you uh, can't spell your name. Um, but yeah, um, but the director, Stephen Knight, spelled wrongly, felt that. Um, felt that it added to his performance kind of the the beeping of the low fuel warning and so and the fact that it frustrated him so he kept them in but he changed it to instead of being like a low fuel he changed it so that it was like an a call waiting or whatever so he's obviously getting more like frustrated because he's, he's constantly having to take calls and stuff in terms of taking and making calls um there are actually 36 phone calls in total in the film. 13 outgoing, 21 incoming, one missed call and one to voicemail. And over half of them ended up with someone being hung up on, which I thought was very interesting. Um, I definitely wouldn't have done the math on that, so I'm glad someone else did it because it's interesting. 36 phone calls in an hour and a half. That is a lot of phone calls. Um but yeah, overall, I thought it was a great film. Uh, it follows an interesting evening, but maybe they could have done with a little bit more room to breathe at the end. Uh, just just give it that little bit of time that, that it needs to to fully finish it, I feel. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to film number three, which is Lord of... Not Lord of the Rings, it's Lord of War. Um, so this follows Ukrainian born... Ukrainian born? Ukrainian born arms dealer Yuri Orlov as he goes from his first sale to dealing with high-powered officials all the while trying to attain the perfect home life. Um, this is not quite the oldest of our films, but it is a little old. It came out in 2005. Uh, it's got a $50 million budget, made $73 million, uh, which means it did lose a little chunk of change because obviously, I say obviously, people might not know this, um, that you you double the production budget to account for marketing, so we would have had to make a hundred million to break even. Um, it's kind of got mixed mixed reviews. It's got a seven point six on IMDb, a sixty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I give it a six uh, out of ten. Um, I think it's an interesting premise, but it gets a bit stale with no real excitement. Um, so. Nicholas Cage plays Yuri Orlov, the titular Lord of War. And for a Nicholas Cage performance, it's pretty restrained. Um, I feel if you're going to get Nicholas Cage, it's nice to have him do some moments of madness. Because I feel that that's when he's at his best. Like Face Off 
is probably his best film in my opinion. Um, also, Jared Leto, 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 Jared Leto. I'd say Leto. Um, he plays his brother. Um, that becomes a drug, drug, drug. Oh my word! Comes a drug addict, uh, much like his character in Requiem for a Dream, which was like five years before this, I think. Um, so he's got, and uh, speculation here. Allegedly, he was doing some sort of drugs around the time or something. I don't know whatever. Um, the film has. Nicolas Cage narrating throughout it, which, I don't know, it gives it a bit of a docudrama feel to it, because it's like, because you're like learning about everything that's going on. And like, it's not based on true events per se, but like, the gun running and stuff, it did happen and has happened and probably still does happen. Um, But yeah, I think... It's just a bit of a weird feel. And I think the main flaw with this film is the feel of it. And, and the fact is, it's not fun. Um, like, I feel that this premise and stuff is prime for the same tone as like A Wolf of Wall Street or The Big Shore or American Made, which I watched uh, back in for set A. Um, but nobody seems to be enjoying themselves. It, like, it doesn't... F- but on the other hand, like... Say you don't want to go down that route, you want to take a more serious route. It doesn't focus on the drama of it either. Like it's just a lot of business meetings, and they're kind of boring. Like them, I think the thing that doesn't help is Cage's character. Like because he is in essence just a boring businessman. Yeah, his business is firearms, which is kind of inherently interesting. But once you get past that, which you do, because that's all the film focuses on. So immediately you're like, oh yeah, I get it, and like you just you just like yeah okay like once you get past that his work is pretty dull like it doesn't dress it up to make it entertaining or anything it's just like yeah this is happening like i think it tries a few times to be like oh oh you nearly got him buddy but he's done this crazy clever thing um like and these things happen when ethan hawk's interpol agent gets involved but i don't think many of those things really hit the mark like like, he's trying to do one almost, like, catch-me-if-you-can sort of thing, where it's like, oh, it's kind of a bit funny and tongue-in-cheek and going, oh, he's, look at this, isn't this funny? And, like, oh, he's got away. And, like, there are a few times when you think, oh, that's clever, but that's about it. Like, I don't know whether it's a result of, like, Cage's performance or the direction, but it all just falls a bit flat for me. Um, I mean, even some different music would have helped it, like some, like, almost heist-style or, like, I don't know, just interesting music to go with it would have made it lighten the tone a bit. Like, like imagine if you got a film where it's Wolf of Wall Street meets Catch Me If You Can, but it's about an arms dealer. Like, that sounds amazing. But that's not what this is, and I think that it suffers for it. I think, I guess a lot of the films that I've mentioned before, they came out after this film. So the idea wasn't necessarily in Hollywood, but surely someone realised it's, pretty boring like surely there's a lot of people involved in these sort of processes and someone must realize but there are a few kind of fun things to it there are some fun characters that he does deals with the liberian prime minister in particular i'm thinking of um but nothing really happens to make that relationship interesting like even when stuff goes wrong for cage he just sort of carries on as normal so it's kind of like nothing there's no real drama there's no real like stakes like nothing really happens like even when stuff does happen it doesn't really mean anything it's just like oh well we'll just carry on as usual and it's just 
oh no, it's just a bit meh. Like the opening, I've got to say though, this has been mentioned like a couple of times on like podcasts and stuff that I've listened to that the opening titles for this are very well done. Uh, it shows the life of a bullock all the way from kind of manufacture to going into someone's head. And it's a very inventive way to open the film. I think it's probably the most creative thing that happens in this film in terms of visuals and just probably in terms of anything. Like I was going to say just in terms of visuals, but probably anything, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, it's almost like a, yeah, it's, it's just a weird, it's a thing that you wouldn't necessarily think of to have like a point of view perspective of a bullet, but it, it works and it's interesting and it, it's, yeah, I think it's, it works for the film and it works in, and it, it kind of almost sets it up as this, and it sets it up well, I feel, that it, it sets it up as it's like this almost lighter hearted thing, like, oh, this, look at what happens to this bullet sort of thing, and it's just, I don't know. But yeah, let's go on to some of the uh, the facts for it. The this film struggled with financing, uh, probably because people thought it was boring. Um, in so much so that no U.S. studio would finance it, and they had to get international funding. Uh, I feel that when you get to the stage where no U.S. studio will fund it, maybe it's not gonna be great. But um. I'd, but whatever, what do I know? Uh, there's a scene where there's a bunch of tanks uh, lined up and they're all for sale. Um, these were actually borrowed from a Czech arms dealer who then sold them on after filming. So they could only have limited time with them because he needed to sell them on. Um, and the production crew had to warn NATO uh, in case they suspected some military attack after seeing them tanks on a satellite footage or something. Like They were like, by the way, we're filming this film and there's going to be a row of tanks. Just in case... There's no, like, militia or something going to come and start attacking people. Don't worry. Um, also, they used some... They used a real stockpile of... Uh, according to the uh, director, anyway, they used a real stockpile of uh, over 3,000 AK-47s as it was apparently cheaper than getting real ones, which, I don't know, I think that's a bit worrying. That you can get the real thing cheaper than a prop one or a fake one, but... I don't know. I mean, you could just get a real one and not put bullets in it, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think overall the film, it just falls a bit flat. Could have been more interesting, uh, but the execution just didn't work for me. A little bit like LA Confidential. Like, it had potential. There's there's stuff in there that sounds good, but it's just it just doesn't work, really, on the screen. We are now on to a film that wasn't. Um, So I enjoyed... So a few weeks ago, I actually looked at Newt, which was an animated film that didn't get made. It was a Pixar film. And so I decided that I was going to look at another film that didn't get made um, that was also animated. And this week, it's a DreamWorks film, and it's called Me and My Shadow. So DreamWorks announced it in 2010. And it was to be released in March 2013. Um, it's an, yeah, I think that's about the same time that Newt was supposed to come out. Anyway, uh, its initial screenplay was written by Steve Benchich and Rod... Rod? No, not Rod. Ron Friedman. I'm having all sorts of problems with uh, nuz and duz today. Um, anyway, they both worked on Chicken Little, uh, Brother Bear and Open Season. So all fairly... Meh 
animated films. I don't think I've seen any of them, to be fair, so I can't really judge. Um, and it was to be directed by Mark Dindle, who also worked with those with Steve and Ron on Chicken Little. Um, but he also did The Emperor's New Groove, which um, is probably the only animated film that features a llama that I can think of. Uh, yeah. Well, especially a person turning into a llama. But anyway, um, but there's an, the, this is the thing about this film. It had a very exciting and intriguing aspect about it. And I, will, I won't tell you about it. I will let Bill Damask, Damaske, the co-president of production at DreamWorks at the time, I'll let him explain to you what that aspect is. He said, The way Who Framed Roger Rabbit combined hand-drawn and live-action, this does the same, but with CG and hand-drawn. Me and my shadow will combine the time-honored tradition of hand-drawn animation with the magical sophistication of CG characters and worlds in ways that have never been experienced by audiences before. So, it's going to have 2D and 3D bits in this film, which I thought was quite interesting. Let's find out what how they're going to utilise that. Well, the synopsis of this film is that Stanley Grubb is basically the most boring person in the world. And his shadow, Stan, uh, wants some adventure. When a shadowy criminal emerges with plans to take over the human world, Stan, or Shadow Stan, I don't know which word you... Stan sees an opportunity to break the number one rule of the shadow world, and that is, they lead, we follow. And he breaks it in order to take control of Stanley and get the adventure he's always wanted. Um... So the way this the 2D and 3D was going to work is that the shadow world is going to be 2D uh, hand-drawn animation and the, the human world was going to be 3D CG animation. Uh, there's multiple stills online of the concept art. There's even like an official poster that they brought out uh, showcasing the dual animation style. So if you just do a quick Google of me and my shadow, um, it'll probably come up. Um, so Tom Assel and Matt Ember were brought in... Um, to revise the screenplay they'd worked on get smart epic which i covered not that long ago which was another animated film and home um Mardino was replaced as director by alessandro carloni uh carloni had worked in dreamworks for a while uh on how to the how to drain your dragon kung fu panda series and the crude uh, but this would have been his directorial debut but instead, he got that with Kung Fu Panda 3, which he co-directed. Um, at this time, uh, at the time of the kind of the director change and everything, uh, the film was pushed back from March 2013 to November 2013, I guess as a result of these changes uh, and the revisions. Um, it was going to have... So we've worked about some of the people that were involved behind the scenes, but let's let's talk about people that were involved in the scenes, and they are some of the voice actors, which would have been Josh Gad, who is most famous for Olaf in Frozen. Um, he would have been Stanley, the human. Uh, Kate Hudson, who, I don't know, was maybe in, mainly in rom-coms and things like that. Um, she was uh, playing Heidi, who is Stanley's love interest. And Bill Hader, was, who, who has been in Inside Out and kind of Ice Age and stuff, uh, he was going to be Stan the Shadow. He's going to be Shadow Stan. Um, it would have been Kate Hudson's first voice acting gig. 
Um, but again, she actually got that on Kung Fu Panda 3. Uh, so not only was it the directorial debut of uh, Alessandro Carloni, but it was the uh, voice acting debut of Kate Hudson, which is interesting. Uh, Tom Hiddleston was also rumoured to be the shadowy villain, uh, which makes sense as kind of 2012 was uh, Avengers time. Um, so, and Loki was everywhere and people love Loki. So it makes sense to kind of capitalise on that. Um, so yeah, everything's going well. Um, at that point, Josh Gad shares a photo of Insta- on Instagram of him with the script and at the studio to record his first lines in 2012. But in June 2012, uh, the film was actually pushed back to March of 2014. And Mr. Peabody and Sherman, don't worry, I've I don't really know much about it either. Uh, that was moved up to the third November 2013 spot. By the way, Mr. Peabody and Sherman did come out. I, I remember reading that or seeing that it was a film. Something about a dog. I don't know. Dog with glasses. Anyway, uh, more struggles meant that Mr. Peabody and Sherman went back to March 2014. And me and my shadow was removed from the release schedule. Um, so at the announcement, the really initial announcement at... In 2020, Bill Damaschke said, We are proud to have assembled a world-class creative team of filmmakers and artists, all of whom have vast experience on both computer-generated and traditionally animated films. But obviously, it's been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, and then it was taken off the release schedule completely, which meant, which is never a good sign, uh, really, unless you know that the film is definitely coming out. Um, One of the animators, Matt Williams, or Williams? It's Williams, but it's got an E between the M and the S. Um, he actually worked on Looney Tunes Back in Action, SpongeBob SquarePants movie, and Princess and the Frog. So he's got, uh, he's he's one of these kind of veteran animators that's got that experience of multiple mediums and things like that. Um, and he said, this was the most fun I've ever had on a feature film. Definitely the most talented animators I've ever worked with in my career. It was a great small crew where we were all given a certain level of freedom. I was going to be lead on the villain of the film, but sadly it was cancelled before I could start my first shot. So obviously there are stills and screenshots and stuff, so the and concepts are and things. So they've obviously worked on on stuff and maybe they've animated a bit of kind of. I think there's there's some pencil animations, but I don't think there's any kind of real proper animations out there. Um, uh, apparently in 2012, a press screening was held. Uh, presumably only with some footage and concept art and whatever. And DreamWorks CEO, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, he fell asleep during it. Um, so I guess that's probably the cause for the delays. Um, but he actually said in 2013 that the film was not cancelled, but put back on its development tracks and would start up production when they get a new rewrite. So basically, they he got he he didn't like it. He fell asleep. And he's but I guess they liked the idea of it, and they were like, "Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's get someone new in." Um, so all this work and all all this casting and stuff and everything that looked really good with this, because um, it does look, it did look good, and the uh, stills do look good, and the casting's great, and everything does work for this. But obviously, it didn't come together for some reason or for for some reason or another, and it just didn't capture kind of the higher-ups' imaginations. Um, and so they wanted a rewrite, and that rewrite came in the form of Edgar Wright and David Walliams. Edgar Wright, obviously famous for 
the Cornetto trilogy and Scott Pilgrim. And David Walliams is famous for some problematic characters on Little Britain. Nah, he's alright. He's alright. Um, Dreamworks Animation's co-presidents of feature animation. That is a very long title. Um, Bonnie Arnold and Mireille... Hmm. I'm going to go with Mireille Soria. Uh, They said that... I don't know how they said this together, but maybe they alternated words. That would be a nice thing, wouldn't it? Um... They said that Edgar will spearhead a new approach to this fascinating concept and were ecstatic to have him on board as director along with David as co-writer. We've always been intrigued by a film concept involving shadows. Now with Edgar's signature comedic style and abilities as a natural storyteller, audiences will be treated to a truly captivating and energetic tale. Um... Edgar Wright, he actually came out and said some stuff as well. He said, when the Shadows concept was suggested to me, I could see the poster, the title sequence, and pretty much the whole movie. It's a blast writing this, and to have one of my oldest friends in comedy, David Williams, along for the adventure is a thrill. Uh, so the film, uh, when people have talked about it, it's it, their version of the film is referred to as Shadows, presumably to distance it from the me and my shadow uh, kind of development and production. Um Three drafts were written of Shadows and handed in by Wright, but nothing else has happened since the initial announcement in 2015, uh, possibly because of management changes at DreamWorks, which kind of is liable to happen with kind of longer development times. Um, in 2017, Wright said, well, I wrote three drafts of that, but because of the whole regime thing there, they most of the people that hired me and David Williams to do it don't work there anymore. So at the time, that's not something I'm necessarily attached to, I think. I think that it's something that's TBD, so obviously to be decided. Um, as of today, Wright is still officially signed on. Um, it would be his first animated film. Um, it could be really interesting, but he's... But to be fair, he is a busy guy. He's got Last Night in Soho coming out next year that's been delayed from this year, uh, as well as like three or four other projects in the work. Um, the initial production sounded like a great idea and I think could have made for a great film. I, I think there's still hope for it and there's high hopes if Wright, Edgar Wright does actually make the film because he's a great director and, and I think he, he he's, he's going to be a really good take. Um, but kind of whatever happens... It, it's not going to end up being the film that was me and my shadow. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I'm a bit disappointed by this one, but it's, it is what it is. We move to the final part of the show. Uh, and that is quick fic. Um, so this is where I take one of 20 film characters and I put them in one of 20 film franchises and try to make a prequel, sequel, spinoff or reboot. We've had a reboot of Jurassic Park with Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. We've had Mad Max in Pirates of the Caribbean. We've had Robocop in James Bond. And so we'll see what we're doing this week. Let's first of all see what kind of film we're making. It's going to be a prequel. And the franchise that we're going into is Star Trek. So we're doing another Star Trek film. We did Star Trek with the Predator. And that was the thing we did a reboot or something i don't know but this is a prequel to star trek uh with hannibal lecter oh boy um hmm so hannibal lecter obviously cannibal serial killer doctor man um 
put him in space, cooking up any sort of aliens and things. Maybe he is a serial killer. I don't know. How do you how do you make a prequel of that? So you've got a let's say it's the new Star Trek films. Let's say it's the Kelvin timeline. So it's Star Trek two thousand nine, the one with Chris Pine in it. Um, so that starts with him getting onto the Enterprise. Maybe it's a prequel to Star Trek with Chris Pine in it, and he gets roped in with. A, oh no 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 no! Because there's a thing with his dad, so you could do a prequel of his with his dad, and Hannibal Lecter is on his ship. He's the medic, maybe, um, and the medic start people start going to the medic with problems, and then they come out with worse and worse problems, and basically they end up dying, and he eats them or something. I don't know. So. Uh, maybe he's going with amputation a lot more, and he, you find him that he's eating people that way, uh, something like that, and that it's an investigation on the ship. Uh, maybe you put in some other sort of alien or creature or whatever that they've visited and they've brought on board, so then it it throws throws so that they, they, they can be a red herring. Maybe you make it the prequel that I was thinking of before with Chris Pine on, I want to say Earth, but I don't think it is Earth, whatever it is, um, in that little town thing. And there's Hannibal Lecter, he's going around eating people there. I mean, that's the only real way you can do it, I guess. He's, he's either Starfleet or not Starfleet, but he's always going to be the villain. But maybe he's not the villain, because the re- that's kind of the thing with Silence of the Lambs, is he's not the villain of Silence of the Lambs, is he? He's just a consultant. So maybe he has that consultant role again, but you are pretty much just doing a remake of Silence of the Lambs in the Star Trek universe. So there is that problem. Um... But yeah, I think those are the. Well, I mean, there's only really those kind of couple of options in terms of he's either consulting or he's the villain, and he's either Starfleet on Kirk's dad's ship or Chris Hemsworth's ship, or he's on Earth or whatever Chris Pine lives. I think those are the only two sort of options that you can do. Um, maybe you make it like Mad Max and he's kind of cannibal. He's gone like cannibal uh, gang sort of thing. And he's like, he's not hiding it. But and you they, but they kind of underestimate him because they think, oh, he's just generic cannibal gang thing. But he's not he's incredibly smart. Um, I think that might be interesting. That might throw people off. I think that would be an interesting way to go. Uh, maybe that's a thing that could also happen on the Star... Like, if you were a star, Starfleet with Chris Hemsworth's ship, they land on some sort of planet that involves some cannibal gang and whatever, but there's more shenanigans going on because he's Hannibal Lecter and he knows his stuff. So I think that would be quite fun. I think the obvious thing that you have to do is get in some... is to get some sort of liver, uh, kidney beans and... A nice county. It's not kidney beans, is it? Father beans with 
the heated liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. You need something. You need to get that in there. Whatever happens, that is getting in there. But thank you very much for listening. And if you have any other uh, suggestions for a uh, prequel with Hannibal Actor in the Star Trek universe, please let me know on Twitter at All Out Walker or by email at filmyourpod at outlook.com. Um, those are also the places you can find me at if you would like to comment on any of the things that we've talked about today, whether it's the Alpha Set uh, films or the or me and my shadow. If you've got any suggestions for films that I should watch or films that didn't get made, then please send them on through. If you do follow me on Twitter, you will see on Monday um, the three films that I will be covering for Alpha Set m um that's about it i think uh, yeah so thank you once again for listening and i will see you metaphorically next time bye